is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of June 12th, 2023. I think there's a regular amount of Jeopardy this week. Yes. No, no extra Jeopardy that we will we will discuss. But before we get there, Emily, how was your human week? My human week was pretty good. Thank you. I went on a little solo getaway by my solo by myself for a couple of days. And by yourself? Well, I brought my dog, but I didn't bring ah. any other humans. Um, mm-hmm. And my dog and I stayed in a little cabin and we did a whole bunch of hiking. I can report that my knees are different in my 30s than they were <laughs> in my 20s. Yeah, we went we went on a seven mile hike and my knees let me know about it the next day. So that's great. Aging is great. It's wonderful. We love it. Yeah. Yep. Great hike, though. It was a it was a lovely, lovely day. And I was I was in the Catskills in New York and went to a brew at the zoo event the other day where adults went to the Bronx Zoo and drank beer and wandered around. Most of the animals had gone to bed. There weren't really zoo animals to be seen, but it was kind of fun. It was a strange but fun event. Yeah. How about you? Pretty good. Had family visit. That was good. Very nice. And they went home. That's also good. Mm-hmm. Uh, get to clean the house. My, I was telling you this earlier, so this is not a surprise to you, but I'll my car was anyway stolen. Yeah, it's fine. <gasps> My car was stolen yesterday out of the movie theater parking lot. We mm-hmm. went to see The Little Mermaid, which we very much enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And then our car was gone, which we did not enjoy. <laughs> uh, so waiting on that, apparently, listeners, in case you were unaware, there is a trend going around for dumb young people to steal Kias and Hyundais. So if you have a Kia or a Hyundai and you live in I don't know, the U.S. Make sure you lock your doors, I guess. Maybe park close to entrances. I don't I don't really know what to do to actually avoid getting your car stolen other than like get a, I don't know, a club for the steering wheel or whatever. Yeah. But just be aware that those are apparently very easy to steal, mm. according to a TikTok that is making the rounds. Yeah, so. that's unfortunate. I'm so sorry. It is a it's thing. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. I'm not going to say it's okay, yeah. but like, I am keeping the mindset of like, what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> did you have anything? I didn't ask you this when we were talking about it before recording. Did you have anything irreplaceable or like? No, actually, we were actually pretty like lucky, I guess, in that we we were just like kind of started cleaning out the cars for like you know, after school was done and everything. So the only things in there that we were like, oh man, like, ugh, were the car seats for the kids. Mm-hmm. But we were able yeah. to get, get replacements from friends for, mm-hmm. for now. So luckily, like just, just, you know, a couple days ago, we like cleaned out the car, took out all the stuff that had kind of accumulated. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So at least there's that. Yeah, that is that is lucky. So I guess yeah. also listeners, if you come across, you know, my car, if you happen to see my car, let mm-hmm. me know and I'll come and get it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how they would know it was your car, but yes. Oh, they would know. If I you think see, they could tell. If you see Kyle's car, <laughs> yeah. let him know. Just let me know. Just like, I, yeah. set, you know, tag me on, on Twitter or whatever. Be like, yo, your car's right here. Come and get it. I'll be like, sweet. I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Good. But let's on, let's move on to happier things. Yes. Namely, let's do the quiz show that we all know and love. So on Monday, June 12th, we get the contestants, Marilyn Singer, a children's book author from Brooklyn, New York. Michael Vallelli, a data analyst from Somerville, Massachusetts, and Suresh Krishnan, a network engineer from Suwanee, Georgia, whose four-day cash winnings total $53,999. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, pop songs, Tropic of Capricorn Nations, narrator of the novel, core values, five-letter words, and Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard. (laughs) I love the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard. It was very good. I yes, I, I I love the tourist destination, the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard, but also the category. I imagine you probably have not been to the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard since I you're have, not. <laughs> I'm not an East Coaster. I've been to yeah. I've been to the Ben and Jerry's like factory, the, the it, like the original mm-hmm. location, right in Vermont. Yeah, that's. I have yeah. been. I've been there. I, is that the same place? Yes, it's the same place. Oh, you missed it. Okay, okay. so you you. I, I was a kid. It was this was a while ago. Yeah, maybe they didn't have it there at that point, or I don't know. But if you walk up, if you walk up a hill there, they've got like a little cemetery where they have tombstones for all of their retired ice cream flavors. And you can go and pay respects to creme brulee, which was unjustly retired from production. (laughs) It was cut down in its prime. mm, And each gravestone has like a little rhyme about Mm -hmm. the about the flavor. Or, you know, some some witty little, you know, motto. Mm. It, it is a delightful place. Highly recommend it. Love them graveyards. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I mean, if next time we find ourselves in the Northeast, we might make our way up there. Yeah. Since everything is close together. Yeah. <laughs> the, ben and Jerry's, the Ben and Jerry's factory, I think, is like four hours from me. But I, I maybe, maybe a little more. But that is, I'm given to understand that's not considered really all that far in other parts of the country yeah i mean four hours is a decent is 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 a pretty big drive but yeah Uh, the contestants got all of these ben and jerry's flavor graveyard clues wavy gravy at the thousand dollar level i thought that one was tricky Mm -hmm. the flavor graveyard includes the ice cream named for this woodstock mc seen here and they showed a picture michael got it impressive Narrator of the novel at the $800 level, we had The Bell Jar, Esther Greenwood, this author's alter ego. Michael got that one. That's Sylvia Plath. We talked about her not that long ago. And at the $200 level of narrator of the novel, this novel, 16-year-old Hazel Grace Lancaster, who has cancer. Um, Suresh got that one. He just said, fault in our stars. It's the fault in our stars, but Jeopardy doesn't penalize on leading articles that of course is a john green novel and if you're not if you're if you're not a fan of you know the green brothers not following them hank green has cancer actually he does uh, right now he is narrating his journey on he Twitter. is 
Yes. And on, and on TikTok some as well. Yeah. But they're taking a sabbatical or hiatus or whatever from making their podcast. And John is leaning pretty heavily on Hank to not make himself do stuff while he's, while he's being treated for lymphoma. Yeah. Yeah. For real. So I suspect that this was recorded before any of that came out, but like when I, when I saw the clue come out, I was like, Oh, cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Daily double number one is in that narrator of the novel category at the $400 level. Suresh finds it pick number 11. He's at 2000 with Michael at 2600 and Marilyn at 600. He waiters just $5. He does not like this category, I guess. And he gets the clue this novel stranded astronaut Mark Watney. He tries what is gravity, but they're looking for the Martian. Martian. The Martian, which was a very enjoyable book. A little stressful, I thought, but, you know, very enjoyable. Hmm. Um, I didn't read the book. Did you see the movie? I did. That is a movie that I went I went to and I had to leave because for a while I had a newborn who was like a little potato that I could just bring to things. Right. <laughs> it was my second child. I successfully brought my child to a number of movies and just sat there with my little like newborn potato and watched a movie. And The Martian was the movie where I was like, this is not a potato anymore. Mm. And this non-potato human child is being disruptive. And that's not, you know, it's not socially appropriate. And I'm going to have to just pick up this baby who's who's not going to be able to be quiet and not disrupt other people's movie experience. So Mm -hmm. I saw the first like 25 minutes of The Martian before giving up and have not come back to it. I mean, Um, you read the book, so you know how it goes. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Anyway. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Suresh is at fifty three ninety five. Michael's at fifty six hundred. Marilyn is at zero. And the double Jeopardy categories are the War of eighteen twelve, like a statue, health and medicine, color my world, hang up your TV reboots, and axe marks the spot. Ax in quotation marks. They missed a real opportunity there for jumping back to your deep dive from last week. Mm-hmm. Because. It's the the shorthand name of the of the alien in Animorphs. Yes, could have headed for that. And could have headed for that very deep pull. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, they went for other things like axles and axolotls. Let's not say unfortunately they went for axolotls. Yeah, that's okay, right? Yes, axolotls had to be in. Of course they did because they're the cutest sea creatures. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. How are they so cute? I don't know. Because they don't have to do anything. They have no worries. Yeah. $1,600 level of color, my mind, harkens back to my South Africa deep dive. The mm-hmm. Orange Free State is a historic region that became a province of this country in 1910. That's South Africa. Suresh got it. Talked about mm-hmm. that <clears throat> after yes. after my missed daily double in the Tournament of Champions. That's right. Never again. The replica of the Great Sphinx outside the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas is taller than the actual Great Sphinx. That's the that was the four hundred dollar level yeah. of like a statue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is that is so weird to me. 
somehow it's okay to make it smaller but not larger. I don't know. I can't. Right. I can't it, account for it. There's something. There's something like. There's something arrogant about making the replica bigger than the original. Yeah. There's something that feels like, oh, it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're you're throwing this in the middle of the Sin City. Yeah. And that is a that is an that is a wonder. Well, not technically a wonder of the ancient world, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You have the you have the gall to make it larger. They should have to answer riddles three or something. Yeah. For their impertinence. <laughs> Hubris. <laughs> the riddle is why am I here? What am I doing here? How did I lose that much money that quickly? <laughs> yeah. That's that's usually what I ask myself when I find myself wandering through Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I have never also, wandered through Las Vegas, but maybe probably, someday. Probably smart. Also, yeah. how is it so damn hot here? Mm. It's, mm-hmm. it's just so hot. And, yeah. It's like it's a desert or something that nobody should be living in. Mm. Our daily double number two is in like a statue, but it's down at the $2,000 level. Let's pick number five. Suresh finds it. He's at 8195. Michael's at 6800. Marilyn's still at zero. He wagers 2000 and gets the clue. John Diefenbacher and Lester Pearson are among the notables commemorated with statues on this Ottawa Hill. And he gets correct with what is Parliament Hill. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is pick number eight at the $1,600 level of the War of 1812. Michael finds this one. He's at 8400 with Suresh at 10195 Marilyn is still at zero. He makes it a true daily double. I mean, we're only eight clues in to double jeopardy. So sure. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. And he gets the clue. In 1814, U.S. forces under General Jacob Brown invaded Canada by crossing this river between Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. And he gets it right with what is the Niagara. Yeah. And he committed to bet it all referencing his three failed cancer treatments, you know, and, you know, go like, I don't know, like life is short, carpe diem kind of, kind of vibe to great applause. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Suresh is at 14,195. Michael is up at 26,400. And Marilyn is at 4,400. Michael just had a really good round. We get the final jeopardy category women in mythology. And the clue is the name of this woman, the product of an incestuous union, means against birth. Marilyn wrote, Who is Niobe? That is incorrect. She wagered a thousand. Suresh got it correct with who is Antigone and bet 14,000, which is strategically more than he should. Yep. And Michael, unfortunately, wrote who is Uncle Steve. (laughs) Shout out to Uncle Steve there, but that is not who it is. And he made a cover bet of 2,000, which means he drops down to 24,400. And Suresh wins his fifth game. I think four of them have been from second place. From second place, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeesh. Yeah, but I mean, he's he knows how to, I mean, he, he went a little bigger strategically than he should have, but you know. He he's pulling those 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 final Jeopardy responses off right. yeah. 
you know, wagering strategically. And yeah, so good for him. I mean, it's a it's a lot of unlikely victories in a row. But I mean, at this point, he's headed for the Tournament of Cham- Champions. So, you know, yeah. good for him. So Tuesday, June 13th, our contestants are Laura Blyler-Scanland, a nonprofit fundraiser from Newport News, Virginia, Joe Siebert, a graduate student in physics from San Diego, California, and Suresh Krishnan, a networking engineer from Suwanee, Georgia, whose five-day cash winnings total 82194 And the Jeopardy round categories are dadjectives, <laughs> flowers, the year of the horse, let's check your family history, accessories, and after the fact. <laughs> there has been some like social media kerfuffle about oh yeah the triple stumper at the $200 level of adjectives Matthew 69 says our father which art in heaven this be thy name nobody attempted that it is hallowed there's some dumb copy paste that i've seen going around facebook with people like lamenting <laughs> The, the end down, of Christianity. The and, downfall of American society. This right. used to be a moral nation. And moral means memorizing a specific translation of the scriptures of a certain religion. That's I'm I, I'm as a minister, I am against all of that. Right. Like yep. uh, there there are people I think should have the Lord's Prayer memorized. But I have no idea whether these three contestants standing on the stage were <laughs> were among them, right? Like it's important to me that my congregants be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. But like I don't think I don't know. Like the specific wording of it, like, yeah, I don't think it is mandatory knowledge to be an American. Right. And also like the adjective itself really has nothing to do with dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's just, yeah, it just follows yeah, yeah. father. So like, if you're thinking of an adjective that has to do with dad, like, yeah, I learned it as hallowed, but I also would be like, is there a, is there a synonym that sounds like father or dad or paternal or something? Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So. Yeah. The dad aspect comes up here in that it references our father, but yeah, I could definitely <laughs> see being like, I don't, you know, I, I'm not sure what that has to do with the category, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Ton of triple stumpers in this round. Yeah. 11 of 11 or 12, I think. I think it was 12. Yeah, there are a lot. How'd you do on the horses? I did okay on the horses. People just kept trying to guess Black Beauty, I guess just twice. Yeah, I knew a new Secretariat. I knew Seabiscuit. I did not remember the black stallion. I did know who was in National Velvet at the nice. $800 level. 1944, King Charles carried this actress in her star-making role in National Velvet. That's Elizabeth Taylor. And my step-grandfather, every time we stayed with at my grandma's house, he like made sure we watched some classic movie. You know, like lots of Charlie Chaplin and like Oliver and National Velvet was one of them. And yeah, so... Yeah, every time we were at my grandmother's house, there was like a, you know, the trip to Blockbuster to choose some, you know, (laughs) wholesome classic film for us to watch. Yeah. So fond memories of that. Plus, it got me the got me the points. There you go. Yeah. Always useful. Yeah. Did you how did you do with the horses? 
I knew the racehorses. Mm, gotcha. I, I was not able to get the Black Stallion or Elizabeth Taylor. I've never seen National Velvet. Mm-hmm. But the thousand uh, dollar clue was a triple stumper. 1977 with owners from Washington State. He won the triple crown. That's Seattle slew. Yep. If you don't know your racehorses, then you wouldn't necessarily be able to pull that. Yeah, but. I recognized his name, but I, I did not remember it independently. Right? Like, I feel like this is part part of the like mystique of Jeopardy. Like, part of what makes it popular is that people hear the answers and they're like, "Oh yeah, I knew that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They, yeah, it's what makes you feel because it's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm smart." Yeah, and things. like recognizing it after you hear it is a different thing from producing it before you hear it. You yes. know, but yes. but for the casual viewer, you hear the response. Like you, the triple stumper happens, you hear the response. You're like, "Yeah, Seattle Slew, of course." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I bet Rowan Ward did well in that category. Oh, I bet. I bet they did. Daily Double number one is in the flowers category at the $600 level. Pick number 25, so it's pretty late. Joe finds it. He's at 1600 Suresh is at 4000 Laura is at 1000 He bets it all and gets the clue. The trailing Arbutus, which once told the Pilgrims Spring was here, is also called this, a name the Pilgrims knew well. And he gets it correct with what is the Mayflower. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Suresh is at 5,000, Joe's at 3,200, Laura's at 200. And the double Jeopardy categories are deep books, presidential campaign slogans, silent K words, four letter world cities, crop to it, and stand up specials. Mm hmm. All right, so the pressing question everybody wants to know is at the $800 level of silent K words, have I lost? my distinction (laughs) oh no i mean i I don't think so because the contestant didn't respond chumbawamba right or even tub thumping the clue there is in a chumbawamba song this happens but i get up again Mm -hmm. and laura correctly responded what is i get knocked down or i think laura Mm -hmm. said knocked down knocked down yeah Mm -hmm. good for laura yay laura but step off <laughs> Emily's turf. <laughs> I mean, maybe what this means is that the Chumbawamba song is not going to come around again for several more years. Mm-hmm. And so I, get safe. To, I get to keep my distinction as the only person who's said who is Chumbawamba. Yeah. Maya Bialik mm-hmm. has now said it, but that's different because it's from the stage. Right. Or yes. it's, it's, it's from the host mm-hmm. podium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lectern, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Asking the really important. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about this except for me. <laughs> I care, <laughs> not as much as you do. Yeah. I I hate and love the $1,600 level of presidential campaign slogans. The, the slogan is, in your heart, you know he's right. A Republican from 1964. That was Barry Goldwater. I, I just, it's so, I don't know. It's like, it's like saying the quiet part out loud so much of mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, you're all really racist, right? <laughs> right. It's like, it's, it, that's basically what it's saying. It's like, right. you might not say it out loud, but in your heart, yeah, you know, you know, uh-huh. right. That I just, uh-huh. I, I just love how overt it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, anybody who has ever like mocked modern advertising slogans for like not being as good as those of your the four hundred dollar level don't swap horses in the middle of the stream. Eighteen sixty four was apparently the presidential campaign slogan for Abraham Lincoln. Yep. <laughs> We're in this big old mess. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's not. It, it's not. It could have used a focus group. It could have used some A-B testing. Yeah, really. Like, I feel. Yeah. You got to workshop that at the very least. Mm-hmm. It's not like there was anything else going on. Yeah. <laughs> Deep books, $1,200 level. Oh, I was going to bring that up. You do it, though. A term for the alternative history genre or a book of serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions by Randall Monroe of XKCD. That is what if nobody got it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have been able to pull it because I don't remember. I I didn't quite remember the subtitle. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I would have been able to do it on stage, even though I have both of the what if books on my shelf. Yeah. I don't know if I knew there was a second one, actually. There is. Oh, I'm going to have to put it on my list. I very much enjoyed the first one. Mm -hmm. I especially, I remember really enjoying the answer to what if I made a periodic table of elements where each block was a block of that element. (laughs) 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 Really bad things is the answer. Really, really bad things. Yeah. 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 Uh. Yeah. They also highlighted Ken Jennings' new book, Blatant Product Placement. Blatant. I mean, that's the only only reason Mayim was hosting this week. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The $1,600 level of deep books, Ken Jennings' 100 Places to See After You Die, includes this Hall of the Slain that has the Valkyries as barmaids. And Joe got that one. It's Valhalla. That book came out the day that this aired. So that's fine. Uh, yeah. A hilarious travel guide to the afterlife, exploring destinations to die for from literature, mythology, and pop culture. It says Goodreads. So I'm going to have to put that one on my list, too. Mm-hmm. The list just keeps growing. Yes. Doesn't yeah. get any shorter for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in Four Letter World Cities at the $1,600 level. Joe finds it. Pick number four. Joe is at 4400 with Suresh at 6200 and Laura at 200 Joe wagers 2000 and gets the clue in 2022. It was the site of two FIFA World Cup venues. And can't come up with anything they are looking for doha cutter i don't think i would have got because i keep forgetting the city name yeah because i was I, like i might have been able to pull cutter yeah yeah or guitar or you know however we're pronouncing it quarter quarter <laughs> yeah but i i couldn't couldn't i always forget that it, the city is doha Daily Double number three is in Silent K-Words at the $2,000 level. Laura finds it. She's at $2,600 behind Suresh's $8,600 and Joe's $3,600. She bets only $2,000 and gets a clue. Sir Francis Bacon wrote, Ipsa scientia potestas est, often translated to this phrase. And she also does not know, but that is, knowledge is power. It's great to learn because knowledge Mm -hmm. is power. Yes. At the end of the Double Jeopardy round. Suresh is at 11,800. Joe is at 7,200. Laura's at 600. 
The final Jeopardy category is actors, and the clue is he starred in the two films whose soundtracks were the top two best-selling albums of 1978. Laura wrote, who is, and uh, I think then indicated she'd changed her mind. She said, I changed my mind. And she's like, I wrote John Travolta. And it looks like Bacon is crossed out. Yeah. Uh, Kevin oh, Bacon? Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. I'm like, Francis this. Bacon. <laughs> Francis Bacon. Frankie B. <laughs> True, truly, I was like, Francis Bacon is not an actor at all. It took until I was recording this podcast to be like, oh, right, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> anyway, she seemed very apologetic about her response, but John Travolta is correct. Great job, Laura. Yeah. She wagered everything but a dollar. $599 brings her up to $1,199. Joe has who is Harrison Ford. We know that is not correct with a $6,000 dollar wager which drops him down to 1200 he lands just a dollar above laura which is probably why he wagered what he did and suresh has it correct with who is travolta coming from first place this time to secure his sixth win he's wagered 2601 to give him 14,401 for this game yep so that brings us to wednesday when we have the contestants Nile Amin, a psychiatrist from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Holly Hassel, an English professor from Fargo, North Dakota, and Suresh Krishnan, a networking engineer from Swanee, Georgia, whose 60 cash winnings total $96,595. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Go Canada, a novel category, three, four, or five letter words, random stuff, Holidays and Observances, and a chorus line. They give you a line from a song, you name the artist or group. I did not know, and neither did the contestants, that Decoration Day is another name for Memorial Day. Yeah, Decoration Day, if I if I am remembering correctly, has to do with decorating like the, the graves of the dead. Hmm. Three years after the Civil War ended... A decoration day was established as a time for the nation to decorate the graves of the war dead with flowers. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a a gloomy explanation. Although, I mean, Memorial Day, you know, is is a solemn day. Yes. Is there something more lighthearted to talk about yeah. <laughs> real quick? Um, I'm not sure this is more lighthearted, but in a novel category at the $1,000 level, her Everything I Never Told You is a moving novel of a Chinese-American family in Ohio dealing with the loss of a child. Celeste mm-hmm. Ng is that author, and I like her work quite a lot, although that one, that one was very sad. Hmm. The $400 level of random stuff was an audio clue. It said, take a listen to this woodwind. I played a sound. Uh, Holly guessed what's a clarinet. It's an oboe. Mm-hmm. I can't really like emulate an oboe with my voice, so I'm not going I, to. I, but it sounded like an oboe. Come on. No, it sounded uh, much better than that. Yeah. Yeah, you really just had to know what an oboe sounded like because the category title of random stuff wasn't going to help you at all. Right. And it tells you it's a woodwind. So you're like, mm-hmm. well, okay. Yeah. Daily double number one is at the $600 level of holidays and observances. Pick number 28, Holly finds it. She's at 3,600 with Suresh at 2,000 and Nile at negative 200. She waiters 1,600. 
So if she misses, she'll drop into a tie with Suresh. She gets the clue. The liturgical season of Lent begins on this holy day in the middle of the week, and she knows it is Ash Wednesday. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Suresh is at 2,000, Holly's at 5,200, Neela is at 800, and the double Jeopardy categories are UNESCO World Heritage Sites, Gimme Five, Empires with M in quotation marks, Latino actors and actresses, Medicine and J not sounding like ja, which they spelled out J U H. Yep, ja. Yeah, that's helpful. Rough miss and rebound at the two thousand dollar level of that one. A feminine inner personality called the anima is central to this type of analysis, named for a famous psychologist. Suresh said, "Who is Jung?" They were not looking for the name of the psychologist. They were looking for the the kind of analysis. It is Jungian. Analysis, Holly got the rebound on that. Yes, she did. The $2,000 clue of Give Me Five. I have talked about this before. I believe I have mentioned it at least in a quiz, and if not, in another deep dive. The clue is counterparts to Moscow composers like Tchaikovsky, The Five, were St. Petersburgers, Kui, Balakirev, Borodin, Mazorgsky, and him. Mm-hmm. And that is Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov. Yeah. They were the the five or the mighty five or the mighty handful mm-hmm. of Russian composers. And it's not just that they were from St. Petersburg. Tchaikovsky was not considered one of the five because his style of writing was much more cosmopolitan, much more mm-hmm. in line with the Parisian influence. Mm-hmm. Whereas the five drew much more strongly on their Russian sort of folk roots. The $1,600 level of Latino actors and actresses. I was surprised this one was leveled where it was. The clue was after watching The Last of Us, John Favreau said this actor cornered the protective father archetype market. <laughs> and Neela got that one. It is Pedro Pascal. My particular corner of social media talks only about Pedro Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> he he appears an awful lot on my yeah, on on my feeds. Yeah. Through no fault of mine. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was the star of The Last of Us and The Mandalorian. I feel like he is very much in the public consciousness right now and I'm surprised that he was the $1600 level. But yes, it's okay. Daily double number two is in the medicine category at the $1,200 level. Pick 19. Nile finds it. He's at 4,800. Suresh is at 6,800. Holly is also at 6,800. And he bets it all. Gutsy Mm -hmm. move. Mm -hmm. Gets the clue. This word has multiple meanings. As in, I was blank to a cardiologist because I had blank pain in my teeth from my heart issues. And he gets a correct with what is referred. So he leaps upward. Yeah, he is a psychiatrist. So, you know, medical training. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And Nile also finds daily double number three in J not sounding like ja at the $1,200 level as well. Pick number 24. At this point, he's at 14,000 with Suresh at 7,200 and Holly at 6,800. He wagers 4,000 and he gets the clue. The name of this fictional character in many tales is followed by Ismo in a Spanish word for womanizing. He can't come up with anything. They're looking for Don Juan. Don Juan. Yeah. 
So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Suresh is at 5,200. He just couldn't couldn't really get things moving there. Holly's at 1,200 and Nile is at 12,400. The final Jeopardy category is TV and film characters, and the clue is he debuted on TV in 1967. The show's creator wanted someone from behind the Iron Curtain to be on our side. This was a triple stumper. Suresh wrote, who is love mom, dad, Hema, heart, Sanyu, Sanju. So good shout outs. That is incorrect. He bet nothing, mm-hmm. which I think is a okay bet there. Yeah. Probably Holly is not going to bet huge, but, you know, might. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holly guessed who is Kojak. That is incorrect. Wagered 1500. And Nile just wrote who. Mm-hmm. Made a cover bet of 12601, so drops to third place. They're looking for Chekhov from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I saw some kerfuffle, some some people scandalized that anyone would miss this one. And some some interesting debate about this. Is that is this something you've seen around as well? A little bit. But- yeah. I mean, first of all, the usual, right, like, it's difficult being up there and sometimes it's just hard to parse the clue and you can be familiar with Star Trek and still miss a Star Trek question depending on how it's phrased and whether you kind of catch what they're throwing, whatever. And second of all, the character checkoff, like in the, in the Star Trek universe, there is no longer an Iron Curtain. And right. so there could be, you could be very familiar with the show and have some, you know, some confusion about that. Similarly, the actor was born in the U.S., I believe. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And so whether you're thinking of the actor or the character, you still might not think of think of them as, as from behind the Iron Curtain, per se. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing they're trying to highlight is kind of this intentional kind of vision of the future where the Cold War is no longer an issue and you know there's you know i don't know Mm -hmm. harmony right right exactly (laughs) still the phrasing the phrasing i think could could be misleading sure Uh, i agree yeah i think i mean i think it's a i think it's a fine you know like it's a valid clue i'm not trying to say oh it was written wrong and it's bad i can see where the confusion comes from or the or the the possible misdirect yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that brings us to thursday the contestants are Kieran McCormick, math teacher from Burlington, Vermont. Suzanne Goldlust. That's such a great last name. A marketing <laughs> manager from Reston, Virginia. <laughs> what brings you to Jeopardy, Ms. Goldlust? I think you know. <laughs> Holly Hassel and Holly Hassel, an English professor from Fargo, North Dakota, whose one day cash winnings total 10500 And the Jeopardy round categories are the czar, 21st century horror novels, Rolling Stones lyrics, Dating slash apps, which turned out to be all appetizers questions, the Golden Gate Bridge and bird idioms. I'm not sure that I knew until I experienced it how much I wanted a Jeopardy category entirely about appetizers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, all of these were correctly. It was an easy category. They were all correctly answered on the first try. It was like, oh, yes, this is my wheelhouse. On the other hand, Rolling Stones lyrics are not my wheelhouse. I knew some of the song titles once I heard them, but I could not match up the lyric to the song title myself at all. Yeah, I only got the the 200 and 400. 
when the correct response was given for the other ones, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I can place that. Like, I've heard all this stuff, but I'm not great at just, like, picking out lyrics and throwing them into a song. Yeah. The $600 level of 21st century horror novels. The Scooby gang was often accused of being these, the title of a book by Edgar Cantero about four teens with a telepathic pooch. Suzanne tried what are meddling teens and Holly tried what are those meddling kids. They didn't take those meddling kids, but they were looking for meddling Meddling kids. kids. And I think that per their rules, they would have had to take the meddling kids because there's not right and so like right but but wouldn't those be the same isn't it an article i feel like that falls under the same rule yeah you would think i would think i would too Uh, i would say demonstrative pronoun as opposed to what is the what part of speech is that it's a definite article definite Definite article article. and yeah maybe those is not I, I th- that that's too fine a line for me. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, it, it didn't it didn't quite sit right. I think that those is technically like not an article, and so like getting it, the ish, initial article right doesn't quite apply. But it's still like I don't. Yeah, it doesn't. When you give a correct response for something where part of the answer, where part of the response is given in the question, like in the in the in the answer or whatever, and you begin by saying that, and then you give the part that they're looking for, that's accepted, right? So, mm-hmm. like, be accused of being these, mm-hmm. like to me, puts that in the same like. Oh, so like these those, <clears throat> right? Yeah, like accused of being these or accused of being those meddling kids or like it doesn't Mm -hmm. it seems like it's just a lead up to the correct response and i don't feel like that's it doesn't seem like that has been a rule that they have held to in the past Mm -hmm. i very strongly feel that that was an incorrect ruling i had some qualms about how that one played out agreed day the devil number one is in bird idioms at the eight hundred dollar level pick number four it's where they started suzanne finds it she's at a thousand holly's at zero karen's at two hundred and she wagers a thousand. The clue is this 1843 story has become a metaphor for one who is unpromising initially. And she gets correct with what is the ugly duckling. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Holly's at 3,600. Suzanne's at 5,600. Kieran's at 2,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. G, look at that with the letter G in quotation marks. American caves. Fact, nonfiction. Physics and energy. TV criminals and Italian words and phrases. Mm-hmm. I had sympathy for Kiran at the $1,200 level of American caves. The clue was this aquatic creature with a name like a young dog dwells in caves. The devil's whole species lives in areas only 10 feet wide. Mm-hmm. And Kiran said, what is a mud puppy? I said the exact same thing with a hundred percent confidence from my couch absolute certainty that that was the answer to this question that is incorrect holly tried what is a pup shark they were looking for a pup fish yeah yeah that was a tough one a mud puppy is a species of salamander Hmm. and i don't know if it lives in caves maybe usually river sides right 
Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know if Suzanne has Italian heritage, but she she got three of the Italian words and phrases, and like a couple times, I thought put a little like a little you know little uh, little verb well, on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially like the two thousand dollar clue. It's the English equivalent of a caval donato non si guarda in bocca. You ungrateful thing. I guess you could sort of figure it out from you ungrateful thing, but she got it with don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I feel like you got to do some amount of translation there. Yeah. Daily double number two is in Italian words and phrases at the $1,600 level. And Suzanne finds it. It's pick number 19. She's at 9,200 with Holly and Kieran tied at 6,000. She wagers 1500 so we're heading into some odd numbers. And she gets the clue. It yeah. means a slow, at a slow tempo. Samuel Barber composed one for strings. And she gets it correct. It is Adagio. Yes. One of my favorite pieces. It's a good piece. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is, in fact, nonfiction at the $800 level. Pick number 22. Suzanne finds this one as well. She's at 13100 Holly's at 6000 Kieran's at 6000 And she wagers only 1000 gets a clue beverly gage's g-man looks at this powerful figure and the making of the american century and she gets it correct with who is j edgar hoover Mm -hmm. the original g-man so at the end of the double jeopardy round suzanne has a lock with seventeen thousand seven hundred. holly's at eight thousand kieran is at fifty six hundred the final jeopardy category is the u.s government and the clue is established in 1938 this congressional group was still issuing subpoenas in 1969 and finally ceased to exist six years later kieran was so close and gave more information, it turned out, than strictly necessary. He mm-hmm. responded, what is the House Un-American Activities Commission? Yeah. With a wager of $800, they did not accept that. So that drops him down to 4800 Holly responded, what is HUAC? H-U-A-C. Mm-hmm. Which stands for House Un-American Activities Committee. Yeah. Committee, not commission, is the difference here. That is accepted. She had started writing House Anna and, and then like crossed it out and just gave the acronym. I sort of wondered whether they got any guidance from the contestant coordinators. Cause I remember that you you had some final jeopardy where there there might be ambiguity about like do you need to give a full name or not or so, like something like that do you remember which it was there was one though they were like you have to be very specific mm-hmm. with your response and they like the the response they were going for was figure skating right uh-huh. so like ice skating would not have been uh, mm-hmm. accepted yeah that i think that's what i was thinking of you know and so like like what that tells me is that like you know if there's ambiguity about what's going to be accepted sometimes the contestant coordinators are directed to give some guidance without giving away anything and so like i think like i i wonder here whether it would have been appropriate and whether whether kieran would have benefited from or like did they say it and he you know he disregarded like you know i feel like they could have said you know a short answer is acceptable or something like that right like without without that you know advantaging anyone anyway 
So, so Huack is accepted. Holly has wagered 8,000, which takes her up to 16,000. And Suzanne also wrote, wrote what is the HUAC with a wager of 1,000. So not risking her lock. That gives her $18,700. $18, and she is our new champion going into Friday. And that brings us to Friday when we have the contestants Erica Raphael, an epidemiologist from St. Paul, Minnesota. Ben Goldstein, a content marketing strategist from Dexter, Maryland. And Suzanne Goldlust, a marketing manager from Reston, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings total $18,700. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, continental geography, birthstones, three-letter words ending in X, Greece and Rome, but spelled like greasy Greece Ooh. and Rome as in to wander, Night Skies, and Finish Last. <laughs> finish Last was was certainly good for just everyone who has ever rooted for a losing team. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we had the Cleveland Browns at the $600 level. This NFL team is the most recent to finish a season with zero wins. That is, of course, the Cleveland Browns. $800 level. After a 10-72 and 72 last place finish in 2015-16, this team got the first overall draft pick and chose Ben Simmons. That's the Philadelphia 76ers. Nobody got that, which makes it feel even worse, I think. Mm. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then and then $1,000. Known as Mr. Cub and a player on more than one last place team, he said the only way to prove that you're a good sport is to lose. That's Ernie Banks. Mm-hmm. The Cubs were at least once last place when he was on there have been many times yeah they did a nice job with the birthstones the thousand dollar level was missed on that one red spots of iron oxide give a birthstone for march this name that is bloodstone but erica tried what is ferrite and ben tried what is garnet garnet is the birthstone for january it is the birthstone for january (laughs) it is my birthstone oh yeah i had not heard the bloodstone was the March birthstone, and it turns out it's Me like neither. a secondary one in addition to aquamarine, aquamarine, which is the one that I've generally heard about. Yeah. I memorized them, you know, once before Jeopardy to yeah. have them on hand, and bloodstone did not ring a bell. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's there as, as an alternative, but I, I'm a mm-hmm. l- little bit of side eye for that for right. me. Yeah. $200 level of continental geography was a triple stumper, but it won't be our deep dive. The clue is in the 17th century, this continent was given the name New Holland. Eric guessed what is North America. That's Australia. Yes. I've already done a deep dive on that. Yep. So we've covered don't that. Worry, you can take that one off the list. Mm-hmm. Well, that narrows it down quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit. There weren't <laughs> a lot of triple stumpers this week. Oh, uh. That is false. There were. That is. That's. Yeah. There were. There were. There were quite a few triple stumpers. We had some. We had some challenging games this week. Indeed, we did. Yeah. Daily double number one is in the continental geography category at the eight hundred dollar level. Suzanne finds it as pick number nine. She's at sixteen hundred with Ben at four hundred and Erica at six hundred. She wagers it all, which is a great move here. And she gets the clue. Asia and North America are just 55 miles apart where the Chukchi Peninsula almost meets this Alaskan one. I don't know if I pronounced that other peninsula correctly. She guessed what are the Aleutians, but that's incorrect. We are looking for the Seward Peninsula here. 
So that drops her to yeah. zero, but with her opponents at 400 and 600 respectively, you know, she's not mm-hmm. at much of a disadvantage here. Right. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben has climbed to 3,800. Erica's at 2,000 and Suzanne is at 1,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are historic groups, oppositional book titles, go tell it on the fountain, that European language, cuffing season, and this is all a bit much. Cuffing season. What a term. (laughs) But that category was just all about actual cuffs. Mm-hmm. Except for the one referencing the, the this is a song cuffing season, right? At the $400 level. But yeah, for the most part, just, just cuffs. Wonder Woman's cuffs. Prometheus. The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt that you're doing your deep dive about the $2,000 level of oppositional book titles, but I certainly would be. A page from this visionary English poet and artist, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell from around 1790 is seen here. Nobody attempted it. It's William Blake. It is William Blake. Yeah. And why would you think that I wouldn't be doing that? Because it's a poet? Because it's a poet and you've done poetry recently. Fair. Yeah. As in within the last year. Yeah. That's recent enough did, for you me. You did Emily Dickinson, and then you did Jabberwocky. So, like, that's true. I've done, yeah, you know that's fair. I've done a couple of poems. Mm-hmm. Couple yeah. Of poems, yeah, no, I thought, I thought, will Kyle do this? And then I will. And then I thought, well, if he considers it, he'll be like, no, because I just did Jabberwocky, and a while before that, I did Emily Dickinson. So, like, you fair. know, that's enough totally poetry. Got to change yeah. up our fields. That's a good point. Daily double number two is in. <laughs> this is all a bit much. At the sixteen hundred dollar level, Ben finds it. It's pick number nine in the round. He's at 8,600. Suzanne is at 600. Eric is at 3,600. He is 4,000. Wants to really get that lead going. It gets the clue. It means wastefully extravagant, like an offspring in Luke 15. And uh, he guesses what is decadent, which I think is a fair guess if you don't know what Luke 15 is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently that's prodigal. Yep. C- contextually, I think most people assume that prodigal means like misbehaving. Yeah. Misbehaving right? like, or like, or rebellious. like went away. Yeah. Yeah. Like come, went away and is coming back. Yeah. Like some, something like that. So today I learned mm-hmm. or that day I learned Yeah, that prodigal means wastefully extravagant. Yep. That's right. That's what that means. And daily double number three is in that European language at the $1,200 level. Pick number 23. Erica finds this one. So that's one daily double per contestant. Very nice. Yeah. Erica's at 7,600. Suzanne's at 2,600. Ben is at 9,000. Erica wagers 2,600, looking to take the lead and gets the clue. Mark Twain said capitalizing every noun is one of its few good qualities. And Erica figures it out. That's German. I think German has other good qualities. Yeah. Like how you can make any word by just smashing together a couple other words. Smash words together. Yeah. And that's just how it's designed. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Anyway. Yeah. Also, you can sound angry all the time, no matter what you're saying. (laughs) That's my dream. Anyway, at the end of the double jeopardy round. Suzanne is at 3,000, Ben is at 8,600, and Erica is at 11,000. We have the final Jeopardy category, American Geography. And the clue is, Native Americans called it Okwata, or Wide Water. Pierre Lemoyne 
D'Iberville. D'Iberville? D'Iberville? Oh, Pierre Lemoyne D'Iberville. Pierre Lemoyne. Yeah, D'Iberville. Yeah. D'Iberville. I mean, how would you, how would, like, where, what's the, where do you take the average D'Iberville? Yeah. D'Iberville. Yes, there we go. I'm just going to leave all of that in. (laughs) Sounds good. Would rename it for a countryman. This is a triple stumper. It is fair because it didn't necessarily point you to a particular like region other than just like North America. Uh, right. Suzanne wrote, what is Lake Huron? Not a terrible guess. I wagered nothing. Ben wrote, what is Lake Champlain? Which I also think is a decent guess. That's incorrect. He wagered 2402. And Erica also missed it with what is St. Lawrence River? Wagered a cover bet of 6201. So that means that Ben ends up winning with a score of 6198. The correct answer is like Pontchartrain. Mm-hmm. N- not the first one. Like Lake Champlain would probably be the first one I go to if I'm thinking yeah. like French French named body of water. Yeah. In the US. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I mean Lake Pontchartrain is a a well-known one. But yeah. So Ben is the new champion and will return on Monday. Mm-hmm. And that's the week. And this is the point in the show where most of you skip forward for a couple minutes, but we will still remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potent You can go there to get some exclusive content like quiz questions that I forgot to post last week. I am just now realizing <laughs> <laughs> who knows, maybe I'll throw them or no, two weeks ago. Did I post them two weeks ago? Thank you did. Yeah. Cause it's you my did. turn. It's my, t- no wonder I didn't post them last week. Cause it wasn't my turn. I, I posted them last week. They went, yay, they, you they did. Posted. Yay. Yeah. I'm, I am dissociating apparently. Mm, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> you can support us financially, help the, help the show continue running, not at a loss. So that'd be great. If you feel so inclined again, that's patreon.com slash potent potables. And if you want to direct your money and your attention to things that are a bit more important, we encourage you to check out the causes that we have listed in the show notes doing good work. Mm-hmm. Emily. Yes, Kyle. Deep dive guesses. Deep dive guesses. Are we talking about Star Trek, the original series or Chekhov, the character? We are not. Okay. I am. I enjoy Star Trek, but I do not know Star Trek. And I feel like that's one, especially yeah. in our realm, you got to speak uh-huh. with some authority on. Yeah, you know? fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What about William Jennings Bryan? Ooh, that was my second choice. Okay. Seattle Slough? That was also on my list. I thought about talking about Seattle Slough or some some horses. But I ended up actually going with, from the Monday game, Missed thousand dollar level of Tropic of Capricorn nations. After this landlocked nation won independence in 1811, its leader El Supremo locked it off from the world for 26 years. That's Paraguay. Hmm. And I realized, aside from knowing where Paraguay is, I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I heard that clue. I was like, huh, I didn't know that. And then I thought, what do I know about Paraguay? Oh, yeah, nothing. So. I decided for my own edification at the very least to do a deep dive on Paraguay. Obviously it is a nation of people that has had people living in it for, you know, thousand years or more. And at least has had independence as what we think of it for the last 200 years. So I'm not going to be really actually doing a deep dive into Paraguay because that's, you know, 
a thousand years of history that we cannot really recap. But I am going to go a little bit over the history of it really since independence, a little bit like a tiny bit before, but really since independence, some of the names to know of leaders and just a little bit of information about the country, just to get some familiarity with with Paraguay. Nice. So Paraguay is officially now the Republic of Paraguay. It has two official languages. It has Spanish and Guarani. The Guarani people are the indigenous ethnicity that lived in the region for at least a millennium before the arrival of the Spanish. In Western Paraguay, there are also nomadic people known as the Guaycuru, which is kind of a catch-all term for a group, a number of different groups of people. So those are the two the official languages. Its capital city is Asuncion. It is also the largest city. Paraguay is landlocked, which is rare for South American countries. It's wedged in there between Brazil and Argentina and Bolivia. Mm-hmm. And its its early history is kind of tied, or well, maybe not tied, but connected to Uruguay as well, which is farther south, down on the down on the coast. The name Paraguay stems from the Guarani Paragua, which means feather crown, and e, which means water. Thus, Paraguay means the feather crown of waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spanish conquistadors arrived in arrived in the region that became Paraguay in 1524. And in 1537, they established the city of Asuncion, which was the first capital of the governorate of the Rio de la Plata. Later on, it became a center for Jesuit missions, where many of the Guarani people were converted to Christianity and European culture. The Spaniards were the first European explorers in the region, And like I said, Asuncion was founded by the explorer Juan de Salazar de Espinosa in 1537. Mm -hmm. Jesuit missionaries attempted to create an autonomous Christian Indian nation during the 18th century, and they established what were called reductions, which are kind of like settlements to like around missions. Like if we think of a mission as like a building, you know, to, to bring in native populations and kind of like... I don't want to use their terminology, but in their mind, like civilize them and all that. Mm -hmm. It ended up developing into kind of a syncretic religion. Like it absorbed a lot of the the native religious elements or at least practices. And for about 150 years, the reductions or reducciones uh, flourished until the Jesuits were expelled by the Spanish crown in 1767. The ruins of two 18th century missions, uh, the mission of La Santissima Trinidad de Pandora and Jesus de Tavarangue have been designated as World Heritage Sites by UNESCO. So that was like colonial times and then the push for independence of Paraguay. On the 14th of May, 1811, there was a revolution on May 14th, which is like, that's a day. That day, that revolution was not really a battle. It was simply the establishment of a local ruling junta, which then exerted its own independence. In early 1811, Paraguayan forces had repeatedly defeated the Argentine army, which was considering Paraguay to be a breakaway province. So Paraguay's history is strongly tied into Argentina and Brazil. They were all part of the original Rio de la Plata Viceroyalty, 
where Buenos Aires was the capital city. And so by 1811, the people in Asuncion, the particularly the soldiers and, and the military, had determined that they wanted to establish independence. So there were three people who established the, the junta. It was Pedro Juan Caballero. He was the military leader. He went to the governor's quarters in the main square of Asuncion and met with Governor Velasco and a third civilian member who became the ruling junta for a short amount of time until until a, a Congress was able to meet on the 17th of June of the same year. At that time, Congress put Velasco under house arrest because he had been conspiring with the Portuguese. So at that time, that was the establishment of the first Congress in Paraguay. And over time, they worked more and more toward democratic and parliamentary rule. However, from 1814 until his death in 1840, Paraguay was ruled by the dictator José Gaspar Rodríguez de Francia. Under his rule, Paraguay was shut out from the rest of the world. Very little outside contact was allowed. He intended to create a utopian society based on Jean-Jacques Rousseau's social contract, and he was nicknamed El Supremo. He established new laws that severely reduced the power of the Catholic Church. It was a it was the state religion, but he wanted to reduce the power of the church, also of the cabinet. He forbade, this is really interesting to me, he forbade colonial citizens, so like Spaniards, from marrying one another and only allowed them to marry blacks, mulattoes, or natives in order to break the power of colonial era elites and create a mixed race society, hmm. which like at first blush might, I don't know, it, it like to a certain mind might seem like, oh yeah, that's really idealistic and great. But also it's like, hey, you're not allowed to marry yeah. certain people. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. feels, yeah. So he cut off relations between Paraguay and the rest of South, South America. There was a, an attempted coup in 1820, but he found out about the plot and had the, the leaders of the plot either executed or imprisoned for life. El Supremo died in 1840, uh, after which, for a short time, Paraguay was ruled by various military officers under a new junta until Carlos Antonio Lopez, supposedly Francia's nephew, came to power in 1841. He was the next you know, president dictator. He modernized Paraguay and opened it up to foreign commerce. He signed a non-aggression pact with Argentina and officially declared the independence of Paraguay in 1842. So it wasn't until 1842 that like internationally Paraguay was like really recognized as an independent nation, even though functionally it had been since 1811. Mm. After his death in 1862, power transferred to his eldest son, Francisco Solano Lopez. So the Lopez family ruled for quite a while. They were characterized by rigid centralism in production and distribution there was no distinction between public and private spheres, and the Lopez family ruled the country as though it were basically a large estate. The government exerted control on all exports, particularly yerba mate, which is a plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make mate out of it, which is like kind of like a tea and other. Now you can make a bunch of stuff. That was a, a major export, and also valuable wood products were able to bring lots of money in, but they also had high protective tariffs against imported profit pr- products, which allowed 
Paraguay to be self-sufficient and also avoided debt that Argentina and Brazil accrued during that time. The Paraguayan army was also expanded under Carlos Antonio Lopez, and he strengthened the defenses of Paraguay as well. He also hired more than 200 foreign technicians, installing telegraph lines, expanding steel, textile, paper, and ink, and a bunch of other industries as well. In 1864 until 1870, we had what was called the Paraguayan War. So Uruguay was also kind of kind of similar in its in its development. It was just you know farther south. In October of 1864, Brazil, which was at that time an empire under Dom Pedro, allied with the Argentine government and working alongside the rebellion of the Uruguayan Colorados, which was a liberal party in Uruguay at the time, they invaded Uruguay in order to overthrow the government, which was under the rule of the Blanco party, which was an ally of Lopez and and Paraguay. And that started the Paraguayan War because Paraguay at that point retaliated by attacking Mato Grosso, which is in Brazil, in December and declared war against Argentina in March of the following year. The Blanco government of Uruguay was toppled and replaced by a Colorado government in February. At that point, the Argentine Republic and Empire of Brazil, as well as the new Republic of Uruguay, signed the secret treaty of the Triple Alliance against Paraguay in May of 1865, which was not good for little Paraguay against these three big nations. Paraguay put up a a strong resistance, but ultimately lost in 1870 in the Battle of Cerro Cora. Solano Lopez refused to surrender and died in action. Paraguay lost about 30% of its territory to Argentina and Brazil, paid an enormous war debt, had to sell off a lot of national properties to stabilize its budget, and at least 50% of Paraguay's population died during that conflict. The, the estimate was that you know Paraguay could have had anywhere between 450,000 and 900,000 people in it, and only 220,000 survived the war, of whom only 28,000 were adult males. So it took generations for Paraguay to, to recover from this extremely costly war. Mm-hmm. And at, at the end of it, during the pillaging of Asuncion in 1869, the Brazilian army packed up and transported the Paraguayan National Archives to Rio de Janeiro which makes Paraguayan history, especially from the colonial and early national periods, hard to research. Mm. Those are, you know, the big things before the 20th century. In the 20th century, a liberal revolution against the rule of the Colorados broke out because at that time, you know, the Colorados also took power in Paraguay as well as in Uruguay. And there were conflicts between the ruling liberal party, which eventually led to the Paraguayan civil war of 1922. They also had a a border conflict with Bolivia over the Chaco region. Paraguay was actually successful in that struggle and annexed what is known as Gran Chaco in in 1935. In 1954, we get El Stronato, who was a new dictator named Alfredo Stroessner. He remained in power for more than three decades until 1989. Between the Civil War and El Stronato, the government was really unstable. There were something like 31 presidents within that time because things kept turning over. Most of those were forced out, usually by the military. 
And the Colorado party with Stranato as the, as the leader remained in power, has remained in power in Paraguay for pretty much the entire time since then. The dictator oversaw economic expansion, but also had poor human rights and environmental record. They also actively participated in Operation Condor, which if you don't know what that is, that's the CIA-backed program of coups and assassinations of left-wing socialist leaders in South America mm. between 68 and 89. So he didn't do great in the moral sense, but he did stabilize the nation. I guess there's that. So he in February of 1989, Stressner was overthrown by a military coup led by Andres Rodriguez. Rodriguez became president and instituted political, legal, and economic reforms, which immediately opened up a bunch of land that had been kind of claimed by Stressner and his his regime. So there had been a nearly four point no no two point zero six million people living in rural areas, and most of them had been landless. So with mm. this reform, they were given land, and the Paraguayan economy kind of, you know, had, had, a, had a boom. Um, mm. In 1992, a constitution was established for a democratic system of government, and greatly improved fundamental human rights. And in 1993, the Colorado Party was elected with a pre- the first civilian president in almost 40 years. Elections were considered free and fair basically since then. In 2008, we had a liberal candidate. So after 60 years of Colorado rule, Fernando Lugo, who was a former Roman Catholic bishop, was elected president. But his political opponents managed to basically get him ousted. He was impeached Hmm. and removed from office. And the Colorado Party took power again. So basically, the Colorado Party has strict control of Paraguay, but international scrutiny has pretty much determined that like everything they're doing is allowable within their constitution. Their elections are free and fair. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. And that brings us up to today. So that's kind of the uh, political history, at least of Paraguay. I talked a little bit about its official languages. It's broken up into administrative divisions or departments rather than states or things like that. Asuncion is in the capital district, and then there are 17 departments of varying sizes throughout the country, and they are, they are mostly geographically determined. They're not really dependent on population. Right now, its economy is mostly exports, particularly of soybean and soybean products. So like soybeans, mm-hmm. soybean oil, soybean meal, that kind of thing. So agriculture is big. Manufacturing is trying to get there. But interestingly, all of Paraguay's electricity is generated by hydropower, making it one of the cleanest countries in the world huh. in terms of carbon impact. It's interesting. Yeah. I think that's where I'll leave it. That is that's so a little bit than, about Paraguay. Yeah, that's that's... That's so much more than I knew about Paraguay, which was that it was in South America and its mm-hmm. capital, Asuncion. But yep, I memorized the capitals. <laughs> that's, yep, that's where I was. Mm-hmm, and yep. so feeling pretty but good hey, about it. hey, now we're here. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So are you ready for a quiz? Yes. Unless it's about Paraguay. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. There, Let's have a quiz. There, there is a theme and I will not tell you what that theme is because I'm sure you'll figure it out. Uh, Okay. No pressure, though. Here we go. Question one. 
Although sketches of this device exist from the Renaissance, the first modern version was invented and successfully demonstrated in 1783 by Louis-Sébastien Lenormand in France. It has been used for both military and confusingly recreational purposes. What device is this which can be round, annular, cruciform, or ram air? Huh. And I can add a hint if you feel like you need Cruciform or ram air? Yes, R A M hyphen A I R, ram air. Huh. I think I would benefit from a hint. I'm, okay. a little, I'm getting stuck. The word, which was coined by Lenormand, is a combination of the Italian for to avert and French for fall. Okay. Um, I'm struggling to figure this one out. Let's see. My first guess before we got further into the question was going to be guillotine, but I don't think that fits. Plus, I don't know what it has to do with Paraguay, although there's still a mystery theme I haven't figured out. French for fall, I think, is tombe, T-O-M-B-E-R. I'm not sure what Italian for avert is. I hear you typing after I said the French thing. I feel like maybe this is a different word for fall. I can't pull the meaning of the word annular. I know that I know that word, but I can't remember what it means. Round, I know what it means. Cruciform is cross-shaped. Ram air, I'm not sure about. Military recreational. That makes me think of like skydiving and parachuting and i'm not sure para parachute that sounds like it could fit with the italian and french clues i'm not sure what the definition of shoot is in french but i'm gonna go with parachute i'm gonna go parachute that is very well done. It is parachute. <laughs> According to the Wikipedia entry for parachute, I did not double check this, but apparently shoot is a French word for fall. I would believe it. Let's see. I do not know. <laughs> I, I sort of cheated a little bit by being like, ah, he's typing, which no, means fair. that I said something that surprised him. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, so it is a parachute, apparently. Going all the way back to 852, there is a record of a Moorish man unsuccessfully attempting to fly by jumping from a tower wearing a large cloak. So he was just mm. trying to Batman it. But apparently it worked. <laughs> According to records, there was enough air in the folds of his cloak to prevent great injury when he reached the ground. So I assume mm. that means he didn't die. Yeah. Uh, huh. But yeah, the first mo- modern version of the parachute was from 1783. Yeah. And why people would choose to do that, I just can't wrap my head around. Yeah, no, I cannot either. But hey, you got it. Yay. Nice. I figured it out. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right, question two. The IPC oversees what events that have occurred regularly in some form since 1948, most recently in Beijing, Tokyo, and Pyeongchang? IPC... What events have occurred since 1948 in some form, most recently in Beijing, Tokyo, and Pyeongchang? I think those are Olympics cities, but 1948 doesn't 
fit. And so I'm, I think that they put the Paralympics in the same place as the Olympics. So I'm going to guess the Paralympics. That is also very good. It is the Paralympics. It started in 1948 in London. The first games were called the 1948 International Wheelchair Games and were intended to coincide with the 1948 Olympics. Hmm. Since 2001, it has been like officially decreed that the Paralympics will be in the same bid as the Olympic Games for mm, cities yeah. who, who bid for the Olympics, which is weird to me that it's only since 2001. And even that, yeah. apparently there was some like, there have been some things, in, you know, in the last 20 years at some of the places. Mm-hmm. That was determined in Salt Lake, who had the 2002 Olympics, were like, cool, we got that. That's awesome. They, they even though it wasn't supposed to like really take effect until, I don't know, 2008 or whatever, both... I think Salt Lake in 2002 and 2006 was, I don't remember where 2006 was, but both of those places immediately were like, oh yeah, no, cool. We'll have the Paralympics too. Yeah. But now it is, it is like, if you host the Olympics, you're hosting the Paralympics pretty much right after. Yeah. Cool. Nice. All right. You've got 20 points. Question three. Groups such as the Three Percenters, Oath Keepers, Wagner Group, and even the SS and SA all fall under what descriptor, given their armed and often government-sanctioned combat actions? I think they are paramilitary. They are paramilitary, which, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive or like unaware of things, but it blows my mind that there are organizations that are allowed to be that in this day and age. Right? I, I don't know. The idea of like militias or or like uh-huh. mercenaries. I'm like, are you kidding me? Why? Why? Mm-hmm. 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 It, yeah. it, it's 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 just trouble. It just yeah. seems like, oh, this this can only turn out bad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Anyway, nice. You got 100% it. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yay. Yay for correct answers for paramilitary organizations. Yeah. It <laughs> no, didn't take you. much. It didn't take much research for me to find three or five groups at all grouped together and seem to be entirely the same. Yeah. Three percenters. And, and yes, We've I talked am. talked about them before. Yes. A while back. Ugh. In case, in case there's any, any un- uncertainty, I am saying that the three percenters are Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here we go. Uh, All right, question four. It is of utmost importance that you tell me which movie and television studio, founded in 1927 as the famous Players Film Studio, now owns Viacom, CBS, and all of their subsidiary companies. Its current streaming service premiered on March 4th, 2021. That's Paramount. It is Paramount, which is technically Paramount Global at this point, since it owns a bunch of stuff. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they own tons of stuff now. Yeah, you got it. Nice. Yeah, I figured out the theme. I don't think that I would have gotten it. Like, maybe I would have figured it out from, like, the streaming service stuff, but I wouldn't have been like, oh, yes, the owners of Viacom, because <laughs> I can't make that stuff stay in my brain. Right. I, yeah, I just, like, genuinely don't care about that. It's like, cool. Like, which I don't... large conglomerate owns which smaller Other... but still enormous company? Right, like dealing in amounts of money that I truly can't wrap my head around. Uh-huh. Where great. does it intersect with my life when they cancel my shows that I like? Right, which is like, why? Yeah. How, why? What are you, mm-hmm. especially on streaming services, it's like infinite servers. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've heard recently 
because there there's all of this stuff that's just getting like just like put in the memory hole basically mm-hmm. right like all these things that are disappearing from streaming services and it's like oh you can't find that anymore because we thought it would be available and it's just gone right and like part of it's about like tax write-off stuff like this, this stuff is getting like disappeared because then you can be because then the companies can be like oh well you know we took a loss on that one <laughs> so we can Ugh. write off the loss i'm not i don't understand tax law well enough to like fact check that but like it makes some it helps me understand why things might be j- just getting pulled down from the streaming yeah, services when people like still like them and want to watch them. Yeah. And it costs like, it really costs you, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A pittance in yeah. the billions of dollars that you deal in. But they anyway. can write it off. Great. Yeah. All right. Question five. You're at 40 points. Question five. A equals B times H is the formula for the area of rectangles and what other special type of quadrilateral? Parallelograms. Parallelograms is correct. Very nice. I figured this quiz would be fairly easy once you figured out the theme. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're at 50 points. Had me sweating with that parachute question, but now now here we are. So that's good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause I was going through like the information of the deep dive and I was like, man, where am I gonna like where am I gonna go for a quiz with this stuff? And then I was mm-hmm. like, Paraguay starts with para. Lots of mm-hmm. other things start with para. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I thought you were maybe going to head for landlocked countries, but then it would be too geography heavy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or like, yeah, it would be, yeah, it would be weird to do. Yeah. All right. So you have 50 points. The final category is, it's a bit of a stretch. I will wager all 50. Okay. Here we are. Final question. Crimpers, side cutters, channel locks, slip joints, needle nose, and duckbill are all specific types of what tool? So I think the answer is pliers, but it doesn't fit with the para theme. And how can you make it fit? Oh no. Are, is it a pair of pliers? It's a pair of pliers. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, good dad joke. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> I'll allow it because it is the third Sunday of June. <laughs> uh, I have assumed my final form. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you. And congrats on 100 points. The ca- uh, I said the ca- the category is it's a bit of a stretch. You did, you did. <laughs> yep. You yeah. You 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 warned me. You warned me. Yeah. No, that was that was great. This was this was delightful. Hey, let's thank our listeners. Thank you, listeners, for being thank here. You. Uh, yeah. yeah. I hope that you had a happy Father's Day if you're celebrating that, and a happy Juneteenth if you are. Oh yeah, yeah. happy Juneteenth. It's Juneteenth up. tomorrow. Yeah, I mean tomorrow as as of when we're recording. As we record it. When you're listening, I hope you had a happy one. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. Mm-hmm. 
And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.